0: Good evening, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood, and it's uh, great to be together with you here tonight to celebrate Christmas Eve. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are either in the room or who are joining us online for the first time. Uh, We are so grateful that we get to be a part of this uh, Christmas season together in this way. What we're going to be doing tonight, uh, we just have a few moments together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passage from the Bible that talks about the birth of Jesus, and then we're going to spend just a few moments reflecting on that passage. So very simple format for tonight. Uh, As we do, I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, if you uh, would like to turn there, or else you can just listen as I read from the book of Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 18 through 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, this evening we ask that you would give us fresh eyes to see what this passage has for us tonight. We come before you, Lord, and we are overflowing with gratefulness and gratitude that you would send your son, the greatest gift of generosity, the greatest gift of love and grace that's ever been given. We ask, Lord, that in these next few moments that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly and that you would help us to leave here changed people, help us respond rightly to what we see here tonight, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the passage that we are looking at here tonight, we encounter two unsuspecting people who find themselves caught up in God's plan to rescue and redeem humanity. And of course, we come at the story with, uh, many of us, with so much familiarity. We're familiar with the story, and so what we read in this passage doesn't always shock us the way that I think it should shock us. We are so familiar with what we read here that we can easily miss the radical trust to which Mary and Joseph are called to in this passage. That's really where I want to focus our time tonight, is thinking about this idea of radical trust. The Christmas season is filled with goodness and good news and joy, and to experience everything that God wants for us this Christmas season, I believe that we have to experience the same kind of radical trust that we see in Mary and Joseph. And so what I want to do today is just... uh, very briefly look at this passage and see that Mary and Joseph were called to radical trust in God's surprising plan of deliverance. Let's think about this, first of all, from Mary's perspective. The writer Luke, when he writes about the birth of Jesus, he tells us some things that Matthew here in this passage doesn't include. In Luke, we read about Mary when she encounters the angel, and the angel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And in spite of how warm and welcoming (laughs) that greeting sounds, the text says that she is filled with fear, and she's trembling and wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So this angel meets her and says, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. You are going to give birth to God's deliverer, the long-awaited deliverer that God has been promising for generations. And even as a young teenager, she knows enough about biology to ask the question of the angel, how is this going to be since I am a virgin? To which the angel says, God is going to do it. That's the only way that this can happen, is for God himself to do it. And so the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, is going to descend upon you, and create life inside of your body where there is no life currently. And so this is what Mary hears from this angel. You are going to give birth to God's deliverer, and it's going to be through this miraculous unexpected way. And you you have to believe that Mary is thinking to herself, this sounds absolutely crazy. This is not what I was expecting. This is not what, what the Jewish people were hoping for or expecting. Was this kind of a Messiah? Was this kind of a... They didn't expect the Messiah to come about like this. And so the question is, will Mary trust? All she has to go on is the word of God given to her through the angel. And the question is, will she trust, in spite of how crazy it sounds, in spite of how unbelievable it sounds, will she trust God's word given to her through the angel? Think about this then from Joseph's perspective. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and we're told here in Matthew, that he plans to break off the relationship. According to Jewish law and Jewish custom, this was a totally acceptable thing. They weren't officially married yet. And so to find out that your soon-to-be spouse has cheated on you, it was totally acceptable to say, you know, I'm going to break off the relationship. That was totally acceptable. And you can imagine why Joseph would want to do that, not only to find out that she, you know, from his perspective, the way he sees it, she's been unfaithful, but she's been unfaithful and now is carrying someone else's child. So you can understand why Joseph would want to break off the relationship But before he can do that, the angel comes to him in a dream. And basically the angel corroborates and confirms everything that Mary had told him was true. (laughs) That she had not been unfaithful. That God himself had interrupted her life, which is why she's in the situation she's in. And so Joseph and Mary together are in this place where like Mary, he's, you know, he's got to be thinking to himself, this sounds absolutely crazy. He's got to be thinking to himself, you know, that the angel came to him in a dream and he's got to be thinking, okay, was that just a dream? Am I making too much of this whole thing? Was that just the last thing I was thinking about before I went to bed that night? And then all of a sudden the angel appears to me and says the same thing he said to her. Is it just a dream? And so to both of them, this sounds absolutely crazy that God would orchestrate the coming of the deliverer in this kind of a way. And so the two of them, the two of them have a decision to make, both as individuals and together. And here's the question that they have to wrestle with. Who will they trust? Who will they trust? Will they trust God and his word and his plan that he's given to them through these divine messengers, through these angels? Or will they trust their own human intuition that is screaming at them This doesn't make any sense. So who will they trust? And we read in the account that despite how crazy it sounds, they choose to entrust themselves to God and his surprising plan to rescue humanity. So Mary and Joseph are called to entrust themselves to this divine plan of God. And the same exact thing is true of us as well. We too are called to the same exact kind of radical trust in God's surprising plan of deliverance. Let me just highlight a couple aspects of God's plan that I believe require radical trust. And those two are the kind of deliverance we need and the kind of deliverer that Jesus is. Seeing and believing those two things requires an enormous amount of radical trust. So first, the kind of deliverance we need. In verse 20, the angel says to Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So they're to name their baby Jesus, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. They're to name him the Lord saves because Jesus is God himself who came to save his people, not from their circumstances not from their political enemies, not from all the bad things that potentially might happen to them in their lives. But this baby has been born to save them from their sins. In the first century, the the hopes of the Jewish people were resting upon a deliverer who would come to be a military and political type deliverer who would come and help them lead an uprising against the Roman Empire. This person would be a military type king who would overthrow the Romans And establish the nation of Israel like it was in the glory days. Like it was in the good old days of King David and King Solomon. When the kingdom was expansive and their influence was great. And they had lots of military and political success. That's what they were hoping for. And the angel here comes to them and says that God's deliverer is not going to come primarily in order to overthrow their enemies. But he's going to come and save them from their sin. So in other words, the angel is saying that God's deliverer is coming to provide a far more fundamental kind of deliverance than that of political deliverance. Political deliverance does them no good if they are not also, first and foremost, delivered from their sin. And so this question for us then is, will we take God at his word that our most fundamental need is to be delivered from our sin? That requires an enormous amount of trust. To believe God's word that the most fundamental need we have is to be delivered from our sin. That may sound crazy to you. Because we can all look around the world and we can all look at our own lives and say there are thousands of things that feel more pressing and that feel more urgent to us than to have our sins forgiven. Than to be delivered from our sin. Right? You can look around and see there are wars actively happening in our world right now. There's the potential of wars breaking out in other parts of the world in the next five years. If you look at the global economy and inflation and all of these things, you can look and see injustice and human rights violations. You can see all of this stuff that just feels so much more important and so much more pressing to us than to have our sins forgiven. And then you can look at your own personal life and you can see all of the things that you experience on a daily basis, all of the disappointment and the pain that you experience. You can look at your your relationship with your family or your spouse or your children or your parents. You can look at your education. You can look at your job, your vocation. You can look at your finances. You can look at all these different areas of your life and see all of these things that feel so pressing and feel so urgent. And that's why it requires radical trust to believe God's word given to us that the most fundamental need we have is not for anything else except to be saved from, to be delivered from our sin. But not only this, the other aspect of God's plan that requires radical trust is to see the kind of deliverer that Jesus is. So listen, Matthew says in verse 22 and 23, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this idea of God with us, that sounds so comforting. And it sounds so good and it sounds so wonderful. Especially when we know that God's deliverer has come to meet that greatest need that we have to be delivered from, to be rescued from our sin. It sounds so good and it requires radical trust, actually. To see Jesus for who he is and for what kind of deliverer he actually came to be. You see, the disciples were continually confounded by Jesus's words. He said things to them such as, okay, guys, I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and I'm going to be executed unjustly as a criminal. No one was expecting their deliverer, their Messiah to do that. He says to them things like, I've not come. To crush my political enemies, but to be handed over and to be crushed by my political enemies. I've not come to take the life of my enemies, but rather I have come to give my life in place of my enemies and to lay down my life and to die for my enemies. And Jesus says all kinds of stuff like this. And this is the kind of deliverer that he is. Our God with us deliverer is a suffering servant. Now, he is also the conquering king, but our God with us deliverer is a suffering servant. And here's why that requires radical trust. Because Jesus doesn't just ask us to observe his life from a distance. Jesus says, if you were to be my follower, I'm giving my life as a pattern for you to follow. He says that if you want to experience true life, you have to lose your life. He says things like the first will be last and the last will be first. He says true greatness is found by putting yourself in the position of a servant, putting yourself not in the highest place, but by taking on the lowest place in the form of a slave. He says things like die to yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. And so Jesus doesn't just come and do this suffering servant thing for us. This is precisely the kind of life that Jesus calls us into. The life of following him means taking up the kind of life he lived. Now again, this sounds absolutely crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. Think about how in the modern American 21st century world, everything in our culture is aimed and oriented towards not only just avoiding suffering, but avoiding inconvenience at all costs. Everything in modern American culture is oriented towards gaining influence and gaining a platform. Everyone and their mom has a podcast now. Okay? Because everybody thinks that everyone else in the world should hear what they have to say. Right? This is this is the way that our culture is oriented. And, and there's, there's good aspects of that. So I'm not saying it's all bad. But in a world where we seek to be comfortable and safe in a world where we seek to have a platform and to have the loudest voice and to be recognized. Following Jesus as the suffering servant who gave his life and suffered and died for his enemies sounds absolutely crazy. And so for us, we face the same question. Will we trust God's word when he tells us this is not only what kind of deliverer we have, But this is what it looks like to follow him is to take up that kind of life. This is why it requires radical trust. It takes radical trust to see Jesus for who he is as the suffering servant and to love him and desire to follow him when the call is to lay down your life and die in order to follow him. That's why it requires radical trust because he is one who asks us to come and die with him. He is one who asks us to give up our lives That we may truly live. That first Christmas, Mary and Joseph were invited to radical trust in God's surprising plan of deliverance. And here today, we are invited into the exact same response. We also are invited to see what kind of deliverance he provides. That he provides deliverance and redemption from our sin we're also invited to see what kind of deliverer he is. He's not just our conquering king. He's also the suffering servant. And so as we think about the life of Jesus and that first Christmas, what we come away with is that he is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And so when we hear him telling us what we need deliverance from, when we hear him telling us this is what kind of deliverer I came to send, We know that we can trust him. And the clearest example of the trustworthiness and the goodness of God is given for us in the cross where Jesus didn't just stay a cute little baby in the manger, as wonderful as that is, he grew up and eventually would give his life in our place for our sins so that we could be restored in our relationship with God. We who, because of our sin, have been exiled from the presence of God, he's made a way for us to once again have relationship with and be in the presence of God. And so the cross is the clearest demonstration of the goodness and the grace and the generosity of God. And so we know that he's trustworthy. We know that when we hear him saying things like, you need to be delivered from your sin, and it sounds crazy, we know he's trustworthy. When we hear him say, take up your cross and follow me, and our gut instinct is to say, no, I don't want to do that. That's not where true life is to be found. We can trust him because we know that he's loved us. We know that he gave us his son. And that's what leads us to say he's trustworthy. And so this Christmas, my invitation for you is to trust trust Jesus, to exemplify, to take on yourself the same kind of radical trust that we see here in Mary and Joseph. What we get to do now is we get to come to the communion table. And we do this every Sunday here at Elmwood. Obviously, this isn't Sunday, uh, but this is... Uh, something that's a regular part of our worship gatherings. And the reason is because uh, this is a formative practice for us. It's a formative practice to, to repeatedly hear the message of the gospel, to hear the good news, and then to respond in faith. And we get to come out of our seats, physically demonstrating with our bodies, I'm choosing to have the same kind of faith that we see in Mary and Joseph. I'm choosing to have this radical entrusting of myself to Jesus And we get to demonstrate that with our very bodies. And we get to come forward and receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and commune with him. And so as we do that, I want to invite you to take just a few moments of silent confession and reflection.